Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 495 of the Constructive Criticism Podcast. I'm your host, Heezy, and I'm joined by my co-host, a man whose beard is as red as mine, Mason Clark. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I, I'm good. i kind of been jealous of the... I used to dye my hair auburn to, like, match mm-hmm. my facial hair, like, when I was, in, like, in my early 20s. The fact mm-hmm. that you can just get that for free seems busted. I'm broken. I'm overpowered. You're just so good. You're so good. How, how you sure. been, man? Good, good. I had a pretty busy weekend. I've got a busy month ahead of me. I'm basically have no time off between now and my birthday, which is March 9th. So it's going to be a busy little bit, but it's going to be good. Dude, I feel that. I feel that. Well, today we're going to be talking about a busy format, and that's because people are busy trying to figure out any tiny edges that they can get in that. We're going to talk about modern. Uh, before we do that, always improving is the point of the show. Every week on the show, we want to be talking about the things that we're doing. You know, we think about in improving ourselves and whether it's our magic game, our lives, things like that. And it's the point of the show. And, and what what's really interesting to me, I was, I was reflecting on that this week, is like, oh man, do I, I have an always improving moment, Mason? Like, do I have something that I can share with the listeners outside of like my personal life, things like that? You know, I, I played in a challenge and I, I do have an, an always improving moment. Uh, I played Tron in the challenge this weekend, knowing it was a bad choice. Like, absolutely knowing it was a bad choice, but just wanting to play Tron. I was like, ah, I just need to get this out of my system, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I did n- I, w- I did not have fun. I got uh, Ren Beseju to multiple rounds in multiple games in a row. And I ran, like, it's it's really funny. Uh, there was a round that I was playing against Monoblock where I won game one. And somebody was on the Discord call with us. And they're like, oh, man, so, like, you have a chance here. I was like, listen, no. No, this matchup is, is that bad. And I I know that this deck that I'm playing, the only reason to play this deck is because you think, like, Living End is going to show up in Force or because you think that you have, that the four-color decks are not going to be prepared for you and, like, that you those are the best decks. Like, that's when you want to play something like this. And I knew that that was not this weekend. And it, it got me going to, like, reasonable gamer mind and like thinking about it a little bit and i i questioned like did you did you break your rule of being a reasonable deck gamer just to like try to meme on living end because you think that people were going to play it spencer and mm-hmm. i think i did i think i 100 percent was like people love when living End is good people love to play it they're just going to play a bunch of it didn't see it once uh and then still lost to good matchups that i you know like i i ended up losing actually twice to four color decks that are historically like, you know, very good for Tron just because, you know, that right now Besaidu is at, you know, an all time high. People are going to be they're They're incentivized to play more of them in the main deck than they have historically. And if they're going to be run decks with, you know, multiple save Besaidus, sometimes they're going to get lucky and hit you like that. And I don't know. It, it was, it was like a uh, punished for being lazy moment that I think that everybody can relate to. Yeah, I also think it's like a good moment of like, okay, everyone's going to play Living End. What does that mean? It means, well, probably 10% of the tournaments can be Living End at most. You know, it's like <laughs> one in 10 people will. <laughs> and I'm kind of hoping to bank and that it's going to line up correctly. And I think that's like a thing that happens a lot. Like going into this RC, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are freaking out about Rhinos. And we'll talk more about that later. But like I had someone coaching today who was like, they're not putting Legion's End in the main deck, you know? And they had kind of like this flex removal tech spot. And, you know, we were talking about some. And, you know, that kind of thing, I think that spells at least a reasonable in some other matchups. So it gets some leverage, you know. But, like, 
it's one of those things where it's like only so much of the room can be that deck or something where this happens. And so when you do something like this, it has to make a lot of sense. And, you know, it's very easy just to be like, oh, this will happen this way, right? We're like, oh, I really like playing Tron, let's play Tron. But you have to also kind of be like, are you going to have fun if you don't do well, right? Like, is that going to be a good time? You know what I mean? And like, are you going to feel happy about it? It's like, like you said, it's not even like you didn't know, right? Like you kind of knew it was bad. Oh, yeah. I, I think that, I think that when I was losing to four color, I was like, I mean, obviously, I, I still think the Tron Savior in the matchup, but like, like if I'm losing here, like this is, this is, a, mm-hmm. this isn't fine. What was so funny is like, I think this is the second time I've sleeved up Tron because I just didn't want to play Titan the next morning because they're at 9 a.m. my time. And both times, I just wish that I would have played Titan. Like, yeah. and and I got, I, I just kind of have to be more disciplined like that right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you're going to do something, why half-ass it, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, yeah. my whispering moment really comes to the form of, like, wanting to work on and improve coverage. I am doing RC Denver coverage this weekend, and then I believe I'm doing NRG coverage as well next weekend. And I got a bunch of other stuff like that coming up. And so it's in a situation where I want to make sure I'm putting my best foot forward and I want to be practicing for that. So working with my commentary partner and sort of really kind of wanting to get ourselves in a position where we're putting the best show forward that we can. You know, the RC is like a really big deal to a lot of people. The number one thing people do after they get home from a tournament they have a feature match is watch their feature match. And I want to make sure that I am bringing exciting and uplifting commentary to people. And so I just want to make sure that like I'm kind of on top of my game when it comes to that and also on top of my game when it comes to kind of weirder decks in the format. So kind of making sure I understand what's good about these decks, why you would choose them that way I can highlight those things for those players was a big goal for me over the past couple of days getting ready for this weekend. So that's kind of been where I'm at when it comes to always improving. Dude, I love that. And, you know, it's something that I talked about when I was doing local coverage for, uh, you know, a year ago, uh, quite a bit, you know, between Oasis and, and um, Game Grid. Uh, it was talking to players like, hey, like, did you watch your feature match? Like, what did you think of commentary? Like, what could we have done better? And I didn't mm-hmm. really care if they had won or lost the match, uh, um, you know, I was like, they're like, you know, one of my best pieces of feedback that I got, Mason, was somebody was playing like a really weird modern deck. Um, it was mm-hmm. like a brand new attraction style deck at the time they had mm-hmm. never seen before. Like, yeah, you didn't understand the deck, but you didn't like pretend to understand the deck. You like come just let me cook. And something that that made me think about is like the number of times in Magic where we try to be a part of conversations when we should be better listeners. And Mm -hmm. something that I really appreciate your commentary um, is that you, you know, regardless of which side you're on, which, you know, sometimes you're, you're made to switch, which I think is a strength of yours. um, You're really good at like, you know, putting, putting information out there or asking relevant questions. So I, Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure you'll crush it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really excited. Again, getting to commentate something like the RC is like a pretty big deal. And, you know, one step closer to her is my goal of like commentating a pro tour. So hoping I crush it. You will. Well, that does it for always improving. If you want to support the show directly uh, and be a part of always improving conversations in the discord, for example, you can become a patron of $5 or more over at patreon.com slash C C M T G. We had a bunch of people join last week. That Patreon discord be popping in standard and modern specifically as people get ready for their RC, get ready for their RCQs. It's really cool to see. Before we move on to our main topic, which is modern before the RC, 
uh, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsors. The first one is Heavy Play. You can use the code CCMTG for 10% off at Heavy Play. But actually, one of our patrons had an experience with them this week that I wanted to talk about. Um, Nick, who's in our Discord, had some problems with his inner sleeves. And I, you know, as somebody who has been having a problem with the company that has to do with this podcast recently, uh, I just really appreciated their, one, response time. They responded to him very quickly. And two, just fixed the problem. So uh, he had a problem with some inner sleeves that he got. And they said, hey, we're really sorry about that. Here's what we're doing to fix this issue in the future. We're also happy to send you a brand new back sleeves right now. Like, that was it. They didn't even ask a question. They just were so willing. And uh, I think I think about back when, you know, we had previous sponsors of the show and how we would promote them and the things that they would do in that area. And I think Heavy Play really represents a company that is trying to get better, innovating in a space that hasn't been innovated in a long time, and really cares about the both the customer uh, and the process and, and what they're doing. And I just think that, you know, you can listen to us last week, but if you're looking for sleeves, deck boxes, play mats, whatever it is, you need to check them out. They are number one. They're really, really good. I'm really happy that they're working with us for the show. Untapped GG, you uh, just want to thank everybody. I did get some numbers back, and I appreciate everybody who has signed up for a new account. And I just want to just mention, like, you know, whether it's DraftSmith, whether it is kind of the, the deck building and the, the the deck tracker, there's a lot of deck trackers on the market now. And personally, Mason, I've I've used Untapped GG more than most of them. Like I use I've used others, but the level of support that you get at Untapped GG, and then the, kind of the bonus features of like if you are a multi-format player, if you're trying to prepare for multiple things. Um, if you dive into their website, you can really customize the data that you're looking at uh, so that you can get what you're looking for for the deck that you're looking at and things like that. I highly recommend people check it out. Uh, use the code in the description. It, every sign-up does go towards helping the show, and we really appreciate their sponsorship. That being said, let's dive into Modern. And we're going to start, Mason, where I'm going to tell you where we were one month ago. One month ago, we did a live show. We talked where Spencer went over a lot of modern data. And there was a clear top four decks from that. Those decks were Yogg, Rhinos, Amulet, and Scout. That was it. That was Those were the top four decks. There was not a question in my mind when we did that show if those were the top four decks. I have a question for you, though. Is that where we're at before the RC? Yeah, we're basically in the same area-ish. You know, depending on, like, where you want to believe in things, right? Like, do you believe, like, Rhinos is actually the best deck, or is Rhinos really good because Yogg is the best deck, and it's, like, the normal response? Yogg, Rhinos, Amulet, Scam are sort of the best decks right now. I think Scam sort of has this problem where it's maybe a little less good on any one given weekend, and there are some other decks that are kind of vying for that fourth slot a little bit, but it's still very good in a deck that's like easily something you have to clear and have to have in mind when you're going into the RC this weekend. Yeah, I had some interesting conversations with with teammates uh, as they were testing for this RC, um, and we'll get into what I would play and why later, but I think that I said this during the episode, I think it was the end of the episode, and uh, I, got, I got a lot of responses for it, but Modern is in the smallest place it's ever been, like as long as I can remember. 
where you have four very clear top decks, and then you have maybe five decks underneath that that can compete in, in the metagame if you hit the right thing. But, like, the question is, will that right thing exist with these four decks? That's kind of where I, I'm sitting at before, Christy. Yeah, I think the metagame is, like, very condensed, and there's, like, a few reasons for that. And honestly, we talked about a lot of this stuff back when we talked about the Fury Ban, right? Like, the format has to speed up because you have to kind of go fast and you need to apply pressure because decks like Yawgmoth, which are very good, one of the ways to actually make them not work is to put a lot of pressure on them and reduce life real quickly. And decks that use the one rank that will overwhelm your resources, you need to put pressure on them because if you don't, the one ring will outgrind you. And so without fear in the format too, things are really like needle, like converging in on certain things to stop each other. And we're seeing some things pop up. Like we saw Death Shadow do pretty well at the SCG this past weekend. And, you know, that seems to be like a response to certain stuff, but that's like a, a symptom of like, Hey, this is good against this other thing that's going on. Well, and less of a, like, this might be a format staple. And we're kind of have to see how things play out long term. That seems to be sort of the way it's developing currently. So, so talking, let's go over the top decks. Like, what are they doing? What's what's Yogg doing, Mason? Yeah, so Yawgmoth is trying to assemble a creature combo while playing a normal mid range sort of value game, and that is the thing that's really put this deck over the top. You know, for a long time, Yawgmoth was a fine deck in modern. You know, one of those like we kind of talked about, like that five decks underneath the top. You know, that was Yawgmoth for a long time, but Agatha Soul Cauldron. And the banning of Fury have been two things that have really helped this deck. Yogg kind of has two really, really strong cards and a bunch of fine cards around it. And those two really strong cards are Children and Grist. And Agatha acts as another copy of those cards. Because one thing that was sort of a weakness of Yogg was that if you could point and click down all of their spells, they would struggle to actually win the game. Now, with Soul Cauldron, they're actually able to have multiple copies of this and have to fight on multiple angles while still just playing their good, normal mid-rangey game. And they've gotten better as a deck at sort of playing this kind of game due to things like Soul Cauldron joining the deck, Shieldred joining the deck, losing things like Jarl's Messenger from a couple of years ago. Uh, and the deck is really leaned down. And one of the best answer cards for it in Fury is no longer legal in the format. And that deck was succeeding in spite of Fury before. And now... There's just so few things that can interact with its wide presence on the board. Uh, and the deck also is one of the best decks for using Orcish Bowmasters for kind of every piece of the buffalo, from these creatures as a counter for Agatha's reasons, to having two bodies, to having that little bit of disruption. It's just a really strong deck with multiple angles. I'd say it uses some of the buffalo multiple times, to be honest. Like, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> that, the 1-1 one, one counter being the power and toughness it can becoming relevant is like, Way more of the Buffalo. Like, I think the Buffalo was like, yeah, I don't got any more to give, guys. And they're like, oh, no, we we, we can find we can mm -hmm. find some more. Yeah. Yeah, Yogg is very, very good. And I think, you know, when you look at, I mean, personally, I'm of the belief that when you look at all the numbers and you look at sort of how things are playing out, I believe Yogg is the best deck. And the, re the reason why Rhinos is so popular is it is so good against Yogg. It's like, in my mind, a close, like, you know, second or third best deck depending on how you want to look at things and so it's like right there you know when we talk about like best versus second best these are like very small margins and when you're good against the best one that kind of moves people to be there and yog is perceived as an incredibly complicated deck and it, some of the yog lines are super hard so i totally get that 
but it's definitely a deck that I think some people are scared to play because of that overwhelming, just kind of actually daunting task of playing that in a 14 round tournament. Yeah, we, we actually talked about it, I think it was last week on the podcast, uh, where I talked a lot about, you know, some of the, the always improving moments for some of the people that I was coaching and like, have you, have you read the Amulet Guide? Like, and I, so I want to move on to the other deck in our top four that is like, actually, before I do that, uh, I'm just now realizing the complete dichotomy in Rhino Scam Amulet Yogg in complexity. Mm-hmm. Uh, where mm-hmm. they are like two very non-complex decks, like one of them being maybe the least complex deck in modern, to mm-hmm. the most complex. That is that is interesting. I just wanted to call it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's interesting. Let's move on to Amulet. This is definitely mm-hmm. both of you and I have played uh, some um, that you know I got to answer some questions in the Discord because of uh, you know my teammates practicing this deck recently, and you know it being a deck that I really love. What is Amulet doing in the format right now? Amulet is going fast. We talked a little bit about kind of how the whole format is conditioned on one thing. What Amulet's doing is it is a resilient, fast combo deck that gets to use the one ring. And that is a really appealing place to be right now, where basically it is very strong against Yawgmoth. It presents really fast end states against lots of other decks and uses the one ring better than a lot of other decks and gets to the one ring quicker than any deck in the format you know like tron gets the one ring on like turn three and like that's cool but like amulet can get there like on turn two with the right draws and just starts moving 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 through the deck and that is very powerful and one of the things that we saw traditionally with amulet was it's very good at finding its pieces but sometimes you have these awkward cards that are sort of your bridge spells like your explorers and while those are fine cards at server roll things like the one ring just are basically explorers by having you not die and that pays off in real ways where you do things like, you know, attack with a Titan, just grab two bounce lands, then play your one ring post-combat. And now your opponent who can't really answer your Titan is just, you know, can't kill you. You get more resources and you just for sure overwhelm them on the next turn. So that's kind of what Amulet's doing is sort of filling this role as like another sort of combo fast deck in the format and basically trying to attack on a completely different angle and abuse the one ring. Yeah, I, I love that. I think it was Javier Dominguez who had like the the explore list come out before he played it at the the last regional. Like maybe maybe it was Canister though. It was Canister. It was Canister. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But one of the things that's been really interesting is you talk about speed and like Canister added an explore back to the deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like 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 act like you would think that you're like okay, well why is that speed? He also cut Azusa from the deck like. Uh, you know, because so often when you're playing Azusa, you're actually tutoring for it. It's like, no, I want to streamline, just get as many extra land drops as possible into the deck. And one of the things that's really interesting is like Titan. It, I don't think that we have any agreeance on what the light right lands are. I don't think that we have the right haste lands. I don't think we have the right utility lands. There are there's there's the blue green land from uh, there's blue green lands. There's colorless lands. There's green black lands. Mason, what's going on? Yeah, so there's a bunch of different builds that come up. There's a traditional one you know from the past of like Boros Garrison using, you know, uh, Sunholm and everything to double strike. There's Wolfrun builds, which are kind of making anything into this huge creature. We've seen uh, Lichari, the Mirror Lake pop up, which is the blue-green Kaldheim land that creates a copy of a creature. We've also seen Port of Cartfell pop up, which is the blue-black Kaldheim land that is basically reanimate a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. 
And what we're seeing is that Amulet players are really exploring what is the best way to attack. And I think a lot of it really depends on what you think is going on in the metagame, right? And how do you think the other players are going to be playing against you? And that really informs these sort of things. And these sort of areas, I default to experts like Dom Harvey, Canister, et cetera, and want to listen to their reasoning as to what's going on and then figure out if that's what I want to do and then move from there. And so, you know, currently I have not actually played a ton with all of these builds. So I don't really know the exact like idiosyncrasies. I know the big picture differences, but I think that they all have a lot of merit and it really comes down to what battle am I willing to pick this weekend? You know, like Wolf Run is a great thing against Yawgmoth, right? Where Port of Cartfella is a great thing against uh, Murktide type decks that are going to destroy your creatures. Where Mirror Lake is really good in the mirror, we can go very fast, right? Uh, but you need to maybe have multiple bodies. So maybe there's some amount of like working through that stuff. But there's just a lot of differing packages and the players are really experimenting with it. And it's unclear to me which one is the best. But we're also seeing more utility land show up in the deck, like Altawara, as ways to clear the path from your opponent's uh, obstacle cards. So it's really exciting time for Amulet, and players are really digging into what can this deck do. All right, let's go to those simpler decks. What is Scam doing right now? Scam is basically like a stompy-type deck. It's trying to put pressure on board and then disrupt you. You know, uh, you could even argue it's like a Delver-type deck if you want. But basically, it just tries to get aggression and then kill you and interact with you before you're going to win the game. It is not a mid-range deck. If you play, like, most matchups, you just have a bunch of kill spells and, like, some three or four drop, you're probably going to lose a lot. And you need to be doing things like Ragavan on one, Grief on one, Dothi on two. These sort of things are, like, why the deck is strong is the fast starts. It lost Fury from before, which hurt this a little bit, but it's still able to play a pretty good game of this. It just has less ability to mulligan to four and still win the game. I really I really like the Delver comparison to this deck. I actually don't think that I've heard that before, where what you're trying to do is you're trying to uh, maximize your mana advantage that you gain by playing a deck like this, uh, and also like playing cards that minimize your opponents. Like Terminate is a card, for example, that like if you kill a four drop with that, you know, you're really high up on mana. So I really like that comparison. Yeah, and that is sort of what Scam is trying to do, is take an advantage and then run with it. If you don't get running, if you, I guess you, to my mind, you've, you're kind of like a racer, and you need to start racing before everyone else does. You need to be doing things in the early turns. And if you're not doing something that's proactive, you need to be like Thoughtseize in the Dothy. Like, you need to be slowing them down a little bit and getting ahead of them and ending the game before their cards that really take over the game are established. All right, let's talk about the, like you said, one of the, I mean, obviously, we only have one deck left. That is Rhinos. Whether it's, you know, you know what what is, what's going on here? Is this not the deck that you and I dunked on for a year, two years ago? Yeah, but, like, that's two years ago. <laughs> I keep getting messages like, you hate Rhinos, never. It's like, yeah, two years ago when everything was different, Rhinos sucked. It's true. The deck was awful. But things are changed. A bunch of cards are no longer in the format, and... Rhinos has gotten a lot of tools in that time. Things like Tashani's Tidebinder, Flame of Anor, that really helps the stack. The format congealing around a couple things, those being like the one ring and early aggression, make it so that your pile of force negations and your pile of subtleties really go a long way in Rhinos. And Rhinos is just a quintessential tempo deck. It sacrifices, you know, card advantage in order to make these big time trades and uses the Rhinos to quickly kill the opponent. To me, this is like the the best deck in modern. 
But I'm kind of curious, like, how do you beat this deck? Yeah, so Rhinos is a deck that has a couple weaknesses. So all the Cascade decks are pretty weak to cards like Dranus Magistrate, uh, Solus Jailer, Chalice the Void. Rhinos is a little bit different than Living End when it comes to the backup cards that are good against it. So things like Kadetsu Consumes All, Engineer Explosives, uh, Legion's End, these are all cards that can answer a bunch of Rhinos. And what you want to be trying to do is you want to be trying to put your opponent on the back foot because the Rhinos deck is not very good at stabilizing. It doesn't, or I should say this, like, once they are far behind, if they do not have running rhinos and just four fours after four fours, or you know four fours into merc tides and four fours, then it just falls further and further behind. So you need to be putting your opponent on the back foot or completely grinding them to a halt. You know, if you make them run out of resources, then they just can't really get back in the game. Very similar to scam, actually. Right, scam doesn't do a very good job of staying in long games. And rhinos is a little bit better because cards like flame of Anor do some stuff, and the rhinos themselves typically are two for one but like if you do grind them out it's hard for them to come back i, I love that you lump those together i don't think we can do those with the other two decks though how do you mm -hmm. beat yog yog is the deck it's funny uh, you're gonna notice a bit of a, a, a pattern here and this is you want to get them on the back foot quickly and put pressure on them and this is actually why rhinos is such a bad matchup for yog and if you actually look at what rhinos does you can see how to beat Yogg. And as a quick aside, I think this is a great learning moment, Spencer, of like, how can my deck beat some other deck, right? Look at what the best deck against it is doing and see if you can emulate those things, right? So as a quick aside, we've seen Rakdos Shadow and Gertrude Shadow pop up over the last couple of weeks using, you know, Stubborn Denial and Empty and stuff like that to push through damage on Rhinos, slow the Rhinos down, and sort of put them in a really awkward position. And that's kind of, you know, like, Seeing, I'm sorry, uh, for, I, actually, excuse me, I misspoke. For against Yawgmoth, they're kind of, you know, slowing Yawgmoth down using cards like Enti to get through the creatures, but to an extent, Rhinos as well. But regardless, that is sort of how you beat up on Yawgmoth, is you apply pressure and you prevent them from assimilating their key synergies. I mentioned it before, they have two really, really strong cards in the form of Yawgmoth and Grist, and then Soul Cauldron acts as duplicates of those if, you know, they get answered. Grist is not at her best in this matchup, so that's the spot where, you know, kind of a, a knock against Yogg. And then Yogg itself requires life to get things going. And if you're on the play and do something like, you know, turn three, put Charlotte Sage into play, turn four, sell it to your Rhino, or maybe, you know, you get an early Yogg, uh, sorry, you sell it to your Yogg, get an early Yogg on three or something, they sell it to you with no mana, you hit them for eight. Suddenly it's really hard to get the ball going. So making the game short and condensed is the best thing you can do against Yogg Moth and just try to kill them. One thing that Yogg really has going for it is that the hate cards outside of Curse Totem don't really always work. And even Curse Totem, they you know, they all play Relic, uh, or sorry, Reclamation Sage in order to blow that up. Uh, so it's even a card that's more like a speed bump, but if it doesn't ever leave, it will sort of stop them. But like Graveyard Hate doesn't always work. Your creature, uh, your Rafts don't always work because they're cards like Grist and Soul Cauldron. So Yogg is really good at battling through small amounts in any one direction of hate. But it is really bad if you combine that with pressure. You know, uh, I'll just I'll I'll take the next one because it's kind of obvious because it hasn't changed the way that you beat Titan, for example, is early pressure plus interaction, and it has to be mm -hmm. interaction that interacts with Titan specifically. You know, uh, force of negation is really good because they they do rely so much, you know, on spells in different parts of the curve. But it doesn't really matter which part of the curve you interact with as long as you've already applied the pressure, and you know, I think that 
if we look at the top four decks, all of them, for the most part, are looking for that to beat them. But they, they also all apply different types of pressure early. And I think that's why we're not seeing the ring decks, by the way, dominate, right? It's like there are four decks that all need you to be killing them quickly in their own unique way for the most part. And then the ring decks can beat any two of them if they try easily. Maybe the third, but getting that fourth one covered is where things get really tricky. And that's why I think, you know, we talk about the ring being such a big part of the metagame, but it isn't like in our top section outside of Amulet because the whole metagame is congealed around it. I want to talk about some of the decks we didn't talk about. Uh, the first one is Murktide. This deck actually does have some good matchups in this. Uh, in, in this. Um, one of them specifically being Amulet. Um, and Amulet has a pretty bad Murktide matchup because it is able to apply pressure and then interact with the right things. So why isn't Murktide one of our top decks? Well, Murktide has this sort of classic problem of counterspell and stuff like that are really good when you're ahead or at parity, but when you fall behind, they aren't very good. And it struggles with some of the other decks. So things like Rhinos can be huge problematic matchups if you don't have the right cards. And your one-for-one -one nature, you know, if the Rhinos get down, your Lightning Bolt doesn't betray the Rhino. You need to have a whole deal with Delirium. It asks a lot of you. And sort of similarly, Grist, uh, the Yawgmoth decks, like things like Grist and Soul Cauldron, do a really good job of battling through you and things like Delight Halfling stop it. And that in and of itself would not be, you know, a damning sentence because... The Murktide deck is good against Amulet, and it is good against Rakdos. So it's kind of got, like, two really good and two kind of awkward matchups. But the problem becomes the format at large, where Murktide really needs to have the right tools for every matchup. It is a quintessential mid-range deck. Um, you know, we like to compare it to, like, Jund here on the show. And if it doesn't have the right tools, it's going to fall behind. And it is getting some splash hate from some other things going on. You know, like, it can beat a Leyline of the Void. It doesn't just fold to it like a deck like Living in Might if they don't throw the right hate card, or the right answer card for the hate, excuse me. But it is a serious problem. And having to kind of have the perfect sideboard, have your cards line up well, and do that over the course of 14, 15 rounds is a big, big ask. And you don't get many free wins. And one thing we haven't really talked a bunch about, Spencer, is that Raggedan is still really strong when it gets going. And this is, in a lot of ways, the worst Raggedan has been in a long, long time. Orcish Bowmaster is really strong against it. We're seeing that from a lot of our top decks. Young Wolf is obviously a nightmare for it. Uh, and there's some other things we'll talk about that put Ragavan in an awkward spot probably as we go on. But that is sort of one of the big strengths of Murktide. And other decks are punishing you for that. And punishing you for playing cards like Preordain. So Murktide still has a lot of really strong cards. It is a totally fine deck. But it is very sort of mid. Yeah, I think it, it literally falls under the like... If you told me you were playing Murktide, I'd be like, okay. Like, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell you that you weren't a reasonable deck gamer. I think I might. <laughs> you're like, you're like I'm right now. I, I don't think that I would. I, I think that, like, I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm there. I don't know yet. I want I, I, I will say this really quick. Did you watch any of Corey Baumeister's backpack stream this weekend? Uh, no, but I followed his tweets. Okay, yeah. So he played a lot of rounds and I think played really well. You know, especially for someone who hasn't played a ton, a ton of Murktide. Spoiler, Corey Baumeister is pretty good at playing, like, nuts and bolts magic. I was just, um, like, he's, but he's played, like, a bunch of similar space well, decks. Like, I mean, like, in the past, yeah, but, yeah. like, Breach isn't even, like, kind of, like, in modern, yeah, he hasn't done this a little bit. 
but regardless, he did like he. I think he played well. I watched a good amount of his matches this weekend, and he even tweeted about it. he's like, I feel like I played well. I feel like I did things well, and it just didn't matter in a lot of spots because my cards just didn't line up very well. And he's like, I'm off work guide. And he was someone who was like kind of on after a 5 0. And I remember seeing the 5 0 and being like, I wonder how he'll feel about this in a week. You know, like, because I think that happens with a lot of people where like when Merkite hums and you have the right configuration and everything goes well, it feels so good and it feels so rewarding to play. And I think that's really addictive. Um, and I think the deck is really hard. And even when you play it really well, you do not get rewarded in the same way you do for a lot of the other decks we talked about. I want so. to talk about another deck that I, I think. I'm going to say something uh, I think falls into like where Tron was at this week. And that is Living End. So I, I'm just going to say my opinion. Like I, I have not played Living End personally, probably like in a tournament outside of a league in my life. Uh, but we have uh, one, at least two decks that care about, you know, graveyards and graveyard interaction against them. Uh, we have one deck that cares about Cascade. Living End has pretty good results in the last month. Uh, compared to literally not being in our power rankings the month before. But this always happens with Living End. Like, every time. Is that uh, people are like, I can have a slightly worse sideboard card against Living End, or just a, a dud against Living End because I can go ahead on this other deck because I don't need to worry about Living End anymore. Living End comes back, and then... People are like, okay, I respect Living End again. Now Living End is nowhere to be seen. And I just don't think that Living... Like, because of the configuration of the top four decks and the decks that people really should be caring about, uh, Mason, this is my opinion, and I'd love yours. I don't think that you should be considering Living End for this RC. It's really interesting. So, I, you know, what you said is true. And I think that the other part I would add is traditionally when Rhinos does well, living in kind of jockeys off that a little bit and goes like, hey, I have a really good Rhinos matchup. And like some cards that people turn to answer the Rhinos of things like Engineered Explosives and Hidetsu, uh, you know, Legion Zen, those kind of cards do not affect me for the most part. You know, Chapter 2 of Hidetsu technically does, but like not really. And I, it's really interesting because the living in deck is very powerful when it works and it is doing some of the most unfair things in the format it uses some of the most free spells it is one of the more consistent decks but it does have this unique problem of kind of having issues against hate and going into the rc i was really kind of thinking about you know like what how will this deck be positioned a couple weeks ago before we even saw everything kind of change and get better numbers and i was saying at the time that i think living in will overperform for where it's at because I think one issue Living In does have is that it needs to sideboard lots of different cards in order to answer problems and close deck lists because they're not sure. You know, I sit down against Spencer, and let's say he's playing Murktide, right? He could have uh, Chalice of the Void. He's going to have, you know, Fluster Storms and Spell Pierces. And he's going to have, you know, maybe some other weird card, right? Uh, all of those sort of things put me in an awkward position as the Living In player, and I kind of have to sideboard in a bunch of different weird ways. I know Zoe Riederman... Uh, talks about this a lot with you know a lot of her success last year with uh, living in and the energy circuit. And I remember talking to her when we played Antima together because she was sideboarding some weird stuff and she's like, well, half the deck list play this, so I just kind of have to play one. And I was like, fair, you know, we, we cycle a lot, we do things. At the RC with open deck list, one advantage is that you get to see exactly what their hate is. And this is one of those things where I think typically I think open deck list gets overplayed a little bit. 
obviously it's very important and knowing things is good. We talked about this with blue white at the last RC and knowing like what the mulligan to is important. And I think it's just, it's good, but it's not like, Oh my gosh, game ending. If your deck is seen, but for living end, you know, Spencer, if I sit down, I see that all you have are fluster storms, you know, and let's say a chalice of the void. Well, I know how to play. I can now play through that. I now know, and I don't need to do things like, oh, I'm going to bring in this dismember because maybe you're playing Grand Magistrate. That's all white land, you know, or whatever, right? Like something like that isn't going to be on my mind. So I think Living End is a deck, and I, I will answer your question now, sort of like where I think about it, where I agree that it has moments where it is really good. And this is something that a uh, friend of the show, Misplaced Ginger, and I argue about a lot. Derek says if a deck has this sort of thing we're talking about where it has moments where it's good, it isn't a good deck because it isn't a good deck, right? Like it, it requires other things going on. I personally don't believe that because typically I'm trying to, you know, if I'm trying to win a term on the weekend, I'm trying to win. I don't really care if my deck was perfect for 10 weekends across the season. I would have the best deck for the weekend. And when there's something like the RC where there's actually a fair amount of metagaming going on, theoretically, I could see living in be a, uh, a good choice. Now, is it actually going to be a good choice to how everything else is going on? That I'm not 100% sure on. But I will say that if I was playing the RC this weekend, and let's say I lost my cards in the airport, you know, whatever, like they got stolen, and all I could find was a living in deck, I would not be upset going into the first round of the RC outside of losing my collection. That's, so <laughs> That's the weirdest. That's the weirdest. If I lost my card. Yeah, like, like I would be upset with that. Like if you hit me, I, got, I, I would be it. upset. I would not I, play. You did, it was just funny. It's not. <laughs> yeah, I thought like, yeah, you were good. I just want to, you know. I, I got it. I got to be sad. Yeah. I, I'm not. For what it's worth, I, I, I'm not on a Derek's level there. Shout mm-hmm. out, but I, I think that it. Did, this is what I said to my team. I'll just say it on the show. I just think it did too well a week too early. Like, do you think that paper stays? up ahead as moto does dude so it's so interesting because this is the exact thing that they talked about on another competitive magic podcast like for the rc that they were doing mm-hmm. and they were like i think that we've come to the point in modern where so many of the modern cards are owning they're so easy to like loan out that mm-hmm. we we might actually have the closest that modern's ever going to get to people just getting to play whatever like whatever they want mm-hmm. in an rc and I, I specifically think that's true of an RC and not true of RCQs, for what it's worth. Yeah. Does if, does that make sense? We're like yeah, yeah, because it's it's easier to be like you're you the have, one. You have a support system at this point, right? Like you won an RC, people want to see you do well, and <laughs> yeah, me, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking, I'm listening, and to me, like that bodes like living in at an RCQ makes a lot of sense to me, which is funny because you're you're talking about like the closed decks versus the open decks. But to me, like, there's just going to be so many people not prepared that just, like, are playing their modern deck, not prepared for this. Like, they, maybe they switched two weeks ago, and, like, that that's not going to happen. I, at the, I don't know, at the RC, I, I'd be pretty concerned about, like, a lot of splash hate and people being overprepared for the top four decks in a way that would hurt me. I guess my question is, what would that look like that's a problem? Like what is overprepared? No, that's, just no, that's like, a, that's a good question, right? Where it's like there are things that you don't care about that like Yogg cares about, like Curse Totem. It's like all right, cool, like go go for it. Yeah, do not bring it in against yeah. your opponent. Uh, that's not, that's not <laughs> <tickling>. <laughs> I watched that happen. <laughs> Wait, did you really? 
That's yeah. Cool. All right, but that's that's my point though, right? It's like that. Yog hate has gone more and more towards Yog, and less mm-hmm. and less towards how can I disrupt Yog while also doing these other things. And I, I guess I wonder more than I say like Living End will do bad. I I I would worry as the Living End player uh, that I would get Splash Eight. But as I'm thinking about this as we're talking, it's like maybe people will target the top four decks very specifically, and thus that does leave Living End an opening. I think that's kind of where I imagine things are going to be, where it's like people are going to be like, my chalices are going to do well here, and then they're going to play cards like Unlicensed her so that when they're playing Scam, where it's like, hey, this is much better against Murktide, much better in the mirror, and it's like something against Living End, right? But like, I don't really want to mulligan to a ley line against Living End in an open deckless tournament, right? And so I think Living End is in this weird position where I think it theoretically makes a decent amount of sense if you do not want to play one of the top four decks. I would not play Living End, I think, above any deck but Rhinos. Uh, I think that's the one deck where I would take End over Rhinos. For the kind of conversation we're talking about all the hate, where if I'm going to play a Cascade deck, I might want to play the one that I think is going to have less hate there and i would seriously build my living in deck in a way that's like 10 ish answer cards that are just like sets of two to answer problems obviously those are going to overlap a little have five cards is kind of like a mid like a a sideboard switch plan and submit my deck list and be pretty happy i think so many turtles i play so many turtles yeah you get to play a bunch of turtles you don't (laughs) have to play cards like brazen borrower in your sideboard because you're like I know what the problems are. Yeah. I don't have to guess. Like that's Brazen Bar is so good because it's like, yeah, I'm okay in every single hate card situation, but counterspell, you know? Yeah. And it's like, all right, well now I'll just play real cards. So I, I don't know. It, it's weird. It's a weird spot. I don't know if you convinced me, but you definitely made me question myself, which I think is like the fun part of this. So mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. enjoy conversations like this though, uh, you should listen to our bonus episodes. This is the type of stuff that we do like when we do our or when it's just me, you and Abe, like going into a format, that's exactly the type of conversation that happens. So I just want to. Yeah, and let us know if you like this too, if you want it to be a little bit more back and forthy, you know? Yeah. We, we sort of do things a little bit more differently, I would say, here than other places, but we're, we're curious to know if y'all like it. Yeah. And then the last deck that I, I would classify this as two decks, but you only put one, so I'm going to do the one, and that's hard to discuss. What would you say Harden Scales is to just hammer or I, Well, I think hammer stats were just really good for like two weeks there. So I was I I would include it. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. I'll say this. Hammer does not love living in coming up. <laughs> you know? Uh we, we can talk about this either, but living in is really good against Amulet. But I think that like Harden Scales in particular is the one that makes a bit more sense to me. Hammer is just kind of bad against every deck but scam that we've talked about so far and i, I guess that's not fair we talked about murktide excuse me originally we planned about maybe not about murktide that's on me listeners uh but like those two matchups are the ones you're happy and the rest you're pretty mint on and i just worry about playing that deck and listen if you're a hammer one trick and you really love hammer and you want to play it that's like fine you know like that's okay the deck is really powerful and does its thing and puts a real skill check on your opponent but I think your deck is not very well positioned. And Abar, Hammer Expert, I know is not wanting to play Hammer this weekend. I got a message asking for cards that were not in the Hammer colors. Uh, not even like Esper to Fairy Hammer, you know? It, it, it's like we're 
I can tell Abe is fully far away. I don't want to leak what he was asking me for. But That's so funny, you know. I, I yeah. yeah I, so for what it's worth, I didn't include it because I was like, no, yeah. you shouldn't play that. Like it's not like a reasonable yeah. deck. But I do yeah. actually think the hardened scales does something that we were talking about when we were talking about the top decks, right? Where we were talking about like mm-hmm. how do you pressure them, and how how do they interact? Like like it's for, like a really good example of this. I'm going to use hammer as an example. Is like the card mm-hmm. force of negation. Like, what do you force of negate that you're really happy about out of, like, hardened skills? Like, even if you force them to get hardened skills, you like, yeah, I really got there. That was it. That was the one I needed to do. Because mm-hmm. guess what? It's it's a deck full of a lot of the same cards. Yeah, and it puts on pressure quickly, right? Like, we talked about what is the thing we want to do, right? Since we want to have a clock plus disruption. Now, hardened skills doesn't have great disruption. It kind of uses artifacts that are like you know a Tormon script or maybe you know something in that vein to disrupt the opponent but it isn't very good at doing that which is its sort of biggest flaw um but it is a very strong very powerful deck and one that you have to keep in mind yeah i i, I think that like hard is interesting i actually think it's like pretty well positioned i i personally i think that like you know, not having to worry about things that are, like, natural predators. Like, mm-hmm. when I think of a natural predator, I think of, like, a 60-40 matchup that just, like, there's probably not a way around it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I I think about things like um, like creativity, where it's like, oh, yeah, this is just every card in their deck. It's like they have no bad cards in the matchup kind of thing. And I, I don't know that Hardened Scales has that right now. The closest thing is Rhinos, probably. If they have a bunch of force of Well, yeah, like if they have, yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? There's caveats to it, and also like yeah. if they draw differently, and we can talk about rhinos in a little bit. But the the thing is, is like I can beat four fours. Like I am a you talk about Grix's Death Shadow or different Death Shadow deck, right? It's a deck that can beat four fours, and thus its its floor against rhinos goes up dramatically. Whereas, like, if you can't be two four fours, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't think that that's necessarily true about hardened scales, where it actually can beat four fours. Like, it's uncomfortable. You don't really want to have, you know, a bunch of four fours in play against you. Uh, the the second pair of rhinos might be a problem, but it, it can do it. And I think that that is a boon to the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it has wins out of nowhere. Arcman Ravenger plus hardened scales plus Ozolith is. Very typically a win if there's like any other artifacts laying around. Shadow Sphere plus Urza Saga is still a really good plan against the Rhinos if they do not have an answer for it immediately. It is a powerful deck, and then if you know it very well, I would be fairly happy playing it this weekend. Um, the Yawgmoth matchup can be tricky and weird. Rhinos can be tricky and weird, but like Amulet and Scam are really good matchups for you. And yeah, I'm pretty happy to play that deck, and it, it does have a good living in matchup. You know, our friend Ravager and friends are nice there. So, uh, Mason, I yes. was asked as recently as yesterday what I'm playing in Denver. Uh, I should tell people once again. I announced this on the show a while ago that I was not going to Denver because I got my new job. But I'm curious if you were going, which you're not, uh, because you're commentating. What would you play? Yeah. So I wrote down a couple things for this. If I was purely min maxing for winning, I would play Yogmoth. I think Yogmoth is the best deck. I think Rhinos is like a solid deck right there that has a good Yogg matchup and gives players a lot of agency. And as such, it's, you know, it's able to reward skill and is a big winner with the Surveillance. It is a deck that can play the Surveillance 
We did not talk about them in our pick two set review. They're very strong. We typically avoid talking about the Red Lambs for the most part. But they are good, and they are a nice add to that deck. Um, that being said, I, I think Yawgmoth is very powerful, very consistent, can play through hate very well, and decks that have a combo finish with a good fair plan that do not fold to like multiple different types of hate cards and can overcome that are recipes for best decks in, form, in formats like Modern traditionally over and over again. I think Yawgmoth is my clear choice. If for some reason I refuse to play Yawgmoth, Living Ends a deck I'm pretty interested in. Domain Zoo's a deck that I think is the sleeper pick right now. Clock Plus Disruption, we talked about that a lot today. That's a deck that gets to do that in spades. And I think Harlan Fear's Rakdos Shadow deck is very much in this range as well. And while I might play a little bit of blue um, and not go super deep on it, just have a couple of counter spells, I think his deck is very nice and cutting things like Fable and this becoming lean Rakdos Inti deck with Inti sort of playing the role of Team or Battle Rage and not Fable. I think that gets confused with players a lot. Doing that allows his deck to be really efficient. I think it's very good. You can look up the MTG, uh, I'm sorry, the SCG top eight that he had last weekend. Uh, and then he actually lost playing for top eight in the last SCG that I was at. So he's been iterating on the deck. I think it's very strong and underexplored. What about you, Spencer? Where would you play? Yeah, so um, so for me, like, there would be, it would be like a, like a, kind of like a puzzle is the right word. But I, I would look at Rhinos, the deck that I've, I've had success with uh, locally. Um, it's, it's a deck that, you know, I've played in, in challenges and have enjoyed. And I, I think that it is a baseline of like, hey, like, this is a deck that you can pilot pretty well, Spencer. I think that you could find advantages in the mirror. You understand the deck. And it would be, okay, well, what can compete with that? And th- there are a couple choices. One of them would be Amulet. I, th- I think that... There's a world in which, like, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to be the best amulet player that I can be, and and that's fine. But one of the questions that I got uh, that I want to address on the podcast is, like, Spencer, what do you think of the uh, episode of the JT podcast about creativity and, like, changes to that? And I would not be a creativity gamer um, at this point uh, in the metagame. I think I would stick to, in, in all honesty, I might just stick to one of the top four decks. Um, I, I think that if you know your deck really well, you understand the metagame really well and, and things like that, there there are times where you can metagame, right? Like, Mason, you just did a really good job of convincing me that maybe Living End might be in a better position than I thought it was. But I'll, I think that there has to be, like, a question, right? And my question would be like, okay, here's Rhinos. I know how to play it. I know that it's good. I know it's one of the best decks. I know it has the, the best matchup that I could want against, you know, this other deck go ahead and beat that. And I think that would be the question that I would ask. And I think that I would ultimately end up on Rhinos. Like, to be completely honest, I planned on playing Rhinos at Denver if I sleeved up and just went. So I think creativity is pretty good. I do not think it is great. And I think it has a bad Rhinos matchup and not a great Yawgmoth matchup. And so, like, I don't know. Like, it's fine-ish. But, like, I'm really unsure as to why you would do that. And very similarly, I've seen a lot of people ask me about four color and like Omnath is not a well positioned card right now. If you want to play Shieldred in the one ring and interaction, that is good. Like four color, not red, four color, not green. Both those are good, but like do not be sitting up Omnath this weekend. I'm sure someone will qualify for the pro tour with Omnath. It is still a powerful card, but it is not well positioned. 
don't know. I like the spice that I put in the Discord. Yeah, I just think that deck isn't very good against many things. Is the problem? <laughs> yeah, it's it's solving it's solving problems that it might not have right now. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, that that is that is my problem with it. It's just like Shieldred is really really good at stabilizing you and really good in a lot of the matchups we talked about today. And Omnath isn't, and Omnath cannot block a Rhino. Um, I love that. That's a that's good. hey man. I we all know that I was on the the four color black rhinos plan for a while. So Mason, let's break off from this main segment. Let's dive mm-hmm. into our Patreon question. You become a patron of five dollars more. You get access to our Patreon question of the week. Mason, what is the question this week? This one comes from Andy. Andy asks, my big takeaway from ATLRC was that I needed to broaden my horizons with respect to the types of decks I play. I correctly guessed that my usual aggro strategy was not well positioned, but I found I didn't have time to learn a whole new play style in time of the tournament. What are some beginner tips for how to expand your wheelhouse? I think that's a great question, Andy, and I think you have the right mindset. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm aggro guy. Then the tournament ends. Oh, aggro wasn't good. Maybe they take a little break from playing Magic, come back. They play aggro still. They didn't work on it. During this time, you should be exploring other decks and just trying things, you know? You should be playing mid-range decks. You should be playing control decks and expect to be losing. You know, if you have not played a bunch of these decks or you really leaned into like, hey, I am an X gamer, then you have done yourself a disservice long-term, but that's okay. We can fix that. And we're just going to lose a lot early and that's okay. And one thing that happens is people lose in testing and it stings and they, they get off it. And I think it's really foolish that if you're losing in testing to just get off something when you're brand new to this kind of thing. Very few things in life you're going to pick up and be good at immediately. It's going to take some time. So play these other decks, seek out content on them, and just game. You know, with something like Mana Traders, you can play friendly leagues, casual leagues, and put yourself in a position to, you know, play Amalia, play Blue White, play Creativity, you know, like in the Pioneer format, and just try those things and seek content on them and just engage with it a little bit and see sort of what you like and just expand your range a little bit. You know, you think of it like a role-playing game, you know, your first point in a stat matters so much more than your 89th point in a stat, right? Like you grinding more mono red probably isn't going to help, but learning to play blue white pretty well, even if it's just like one or two stat points figuratively, it's huge and gives you a leg up for next time. Or maybe, you know, mono red is positioned well for the next event, but then, you know, we're back to blue white being good. And it's like, well, I'm not starting from zero. Spencer, what would you say? I just want to say you mentioned RPG theory uh, on the show mm-hmm. when we usually mention Parmesan. So, like, I, I'll take the cred. Let's go. But I, I actually think that there's another way to think about this, and I was actually going to use uh, that that conversation. And it, it is it is kind of in that stat points line where you think about like, okay, I'm really good at aggressive decks, right? Uh, let, we'll use aggressive decks as a uh, as the thing because that's the thing you use. Okay. Well, what's the next step to to aggro? Like what? Like okay, there are a couple things that I that I can use the things that I've already used, those stat points that I've already used. Like whether it be tempo, understanding like the importance of mana, whether it be mid range, understanding the importance of like the who's the aggressor and who's the beatdown. Those would be natural things that you could go into if possible, right? Or you could also make the the direct opposite shift, right? Where you're like, what if I just learned the exact opposite, right? Like, I already know why aggro is good against X. So why not learn X so that I can know why it's good against Y? And I think that, like, when you look at it that way, you find really interesting things. So for me, 
I started playing Magic, and I played Mindrange decks. And the, what I went into next was Control decks. And uh, that got me way too far. Like, I actually was a hindrance in my Magic game how far mid-range and control can take you in the game of Magic the Gathering. Because I never learned aggro and combo. And to this day, uh, I remember, it was before the pandemic, and I was like, I really need to learn, like, really aggressive. Like, like I, I obviously anybody can win a game with, 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 uh, with aggro sly, but, like, I need to learn how to win the games with sly that aren't the obvious ones. And I streamed it. I, I think I streamed myself losing more than I've ever streamed myself losing in my life. Um, and it, I, I could pick up most aggro decks now and play them. Like, I, I just, I understand, like, one of the decks that I was considering a week ago was the stupid green, green red beatdown deck with, like, giant growth type effects in it uh, for standard. And that just wouldn't have been in my wheelhouse. And there's sometimes you're gonna have to break the mold, right? Like you're gonna learn control after mid range. In your case, you're probably not gonna like that. Won't be the easiest path for you. Like the easiest step is the next one. And to me, like I would recommend learning mid range or learning, uh, learning tempo decks, right? But after that, like you have to see what's next, and like you have to determine. Like I said, is it the next thing that's closest to what I know, or is it? Let's go out and learn something brand new. And like Mason said, when you do that thing, you're going to lose. And I, I can certainly say that when I learned Agridex, I lost a bunch. You win a bunch too, right? Like you could go on a heater, but you also lose a bunch. So, uh, From YouTube, Guy Brush 3 Wood 8174. YouTube names are so interesting. Uh, this was a great episode. I only dra I only play draft and standard. Shout out to the JRT podcast. I love the discussion the guys are having over there about standard last few episodes. Yeah, we're going to uh, talk about tide binders and lockdowns in domain like two weeks ago. What was really funny to me about this, uh, and the reason I wanted to mention it is like, I I think that when I look at, you know, the overall breadth of of the formats. Uh, and constructive criticism and, and the things. I think we mentioned four different podcasts on this show. And and I hope that people realize that, like, I I love that, like, this comment, it actually only helps our show. It helps Jerry T's show. And I just love that standard is a thing worth talking about to the point where we can compare things again. Like, uh, competitive magic is, is it's, it's like a little weed that's growing again, Mason. Yeah, it's dope. Standard's great right now. So, uh, thank you so much for the comment. Uh, comment and also, uh, check out Jerry T's show. He was a guest on this show. You should listen to that one. You can join the conversation by joining the Patreon Discord, uh, the public Discord, the YouTube comments, just like our last person, Twitter, that's at CCMTG, and then you can check out uh, Sam Black's podcast uh, as well. Like, sub, comment, review. This week, Mason, if you sub, like, comment, and review. All all of those. You have to do all of them, Mason. Then a baby will taste a lemon for the first time and be caught on the deal. And that's just cute. You're making a lot of promises that we could get in trouble for if you don't you have a lot of babies lined up. 
We have a lot of listeners. It only has to be one baby. Nah, you said like, babies. Oh, I did. You know what? I feel like I feel like you're you're. We'll, 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 legal will deal with that. The FTC don't mess with me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen a video of a baby tasting a lemon for the first time? No, I imagine it's awful. Oh, it's great. They're like, yeah, no, like... yeah, no. <laughs> it's nice. It's very cute. It's very cute. If nice. you want to find me, you can find me at Spencer thirteen H for personal stuff. He's a game. If you want to talk about magic or nerd stuff, I'm on. Uh, every week, except for this last month, because I got a new job, on uh, Easy Game Media's Mothership show that is Need to Nerd. And then I got a match coming up with Matt Kling, former host of the show, in Smash for Smash 3. We picked each other's mains for a month. And Mason, I've been playing so much, Roy. I've been playing so yeah. much, Roy. And it, it's going to be a really interesting episode where uh, I get to talk about how Wolf makes you think Smash is a turn-based game. And then you play Roy, and you realize the turns might be longer than you think they are. Sure. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so, uh, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Mason E. Clark. You can reach out for me at coaching at that same Twitter, or my email, which is MasonEClark at gmail.com. Put coaching in the description. That way I know what you're after. I get to finally announce that I am writing for TCG Player. I'm going to be writing for them every other week, so you can check me out there. I just did an article, well, my first article for them this past week where I talked about a standard, a pioneer, and a modern deck featuring MKM cards and things you can do in that format. So make sure to go check that out and give it some love. That really will help me. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Clark for streaming. And find me on the RC this weekend. Uh, I will be doing commentary in the middle of day one and two. I believe I'm rounds four through six and 11 through 13. So I'm very excited to do that. Uh, show some love and you know spam this bark to cheer on Clark. You know this uh, puppers. Spam the puppers. Let's go. Uh, yeah. If you want to find Abe, you can do so at More Nothings on Twitter. He does a new song every week. He actually just released his first playlist uh, for January, as of the time of recording, where you can listen to his entire songs that he listened to in the month of January. It's probably not all the songs, but it's it's the ones he posted, and then. Yeah, And he'll be at the RC, by the way. If you want to meet Abe, yeah. he'll be there. Like You'll find him. He's probably wearing a red hat. And he'll have some CCD Rich fans. And I know I can say this easily. Abe would love to talk to you. Even tweeting at Abe, be like, I am here. Where are you? If you want to meet him, I definitely suggest doing that. Mason, hey, so what did you learn on the show this week? I learned that at the end of the day, Spencer... I can convince you to play Living End at the time. Counts. I don't think it's you twice could, now on the show. You could twice now on the show. You've been a Living End hating, and I've made you come to have a I come to Jesus moment with it twice now. Once on the mirror, and now today. Okay, the one in the mirror was good though. That's way better than this one. Yeah, but hold on. I'm just saying, I'm the Living End whisperer. Listen, <laughs> you should change your 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 Twitter bio right now. Well, then I'm not going to use Living End. I was going to use that instead. You stole it from me. I think. I think the thing that I learned this week is like, it's <laughs> so weird. It's okay that your deck is bad now. Like, this is competitive magic. Like, and I think so often, like, you know, people wanted modern to be the the pinnacle and the pillar of competitive magic for years and years. They're like, well, modern's the best format. Let's do it. And like, guess what? This looks like a typical standard format. Congratulations. You got what you wanted, 
and it's really fun. Like, I really enjoy Modern. You know, do I wish it was a little bit different? Yeah. But, like, you know what? They should have banned grief. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. I'll see you all next time on episode 496 of Constructed Criticism.